Welcome everybody. This is Jason Smith to the Rainmaker Multiplier and we have a guest today that I was a uh, speaker at the MDRT Edge Conference and um, also uh, Phil was the speaker there and he was um, he was the highlight session that I personally sat through. I had pages and pages of uh, great notes, one-liners, ways to position things, bought his book, listened to his podcast, and uh, figured I wanted to turn him on to you because he has he has some fantastic ways to say things and position things that uh, that can multiply your results certainly as you're talking to potential prospects and clients. So, Phil, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jason, thanks for having me here. It's a delight to be able to chat and continue our conversation from the from the corridors at Edge. Absolutely. And so, Phil, like, uh, give us a little bit of background in yourself to start. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we probably use the whole show for this. But no, I've been in I've been in business for some time, started a business at 14 years of age, started knocking on the doors of my neighbors, asking them if they wanted their cars washed. And um, by the age of 15 was running a business that had me making more money than all of my school teachers. And I've been building entrepreneurial businesses ever since. Had a little stint in the corporate world, youngest ever sales manager for a business called Debenhams Department Stores, uh, store turnaround project consultant for um, a big furniture retailer group in the UK, head of retail commercial director on the licensing side for two Premier League soccer clubs, built an overseas investment property business through an independent financial advisor network that turned over £240 million at its peak. And then since 2008, I started a small sales training company that's then grown into the business that I run today, which is having me speak on multiple stages around the world, being paid to speak 3,500 times, uh, written 11 best-selling books, um, spoke in 59 countries, worked with over 800 different organizations. But really, my work falls into to just three areas. One is the acquisition of more customers. Two is getting customers to come back more often. And three is getting them to spend more money when they shop. So that has us looking at all areas of business growth and particularly spend more of my time for people who need to sell stuff, but don't typically see themselves as salespeople. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's a strong correlation towards how my work can help professional advisors in this capacity and, and particularly financial planners that are looking at more of a holistic offering for their customers, because it isn't waiting for them to say, hey, can I buy from you? It is more a case of you being able to help uncover obstacles, help create levels of empathy in terms of their world, and then help make recommendations towards something that they weren't necessarily in the market for themselves because you have a deeper understanding of their unique circumstances. So I, you know, that's a, a potted industry in me. And my little book that you're referencing is my book, Exactly What to Say, which of all of um, of my books is my sort of runaway bestseller by a, you know, a 20, 30 times X of, of any of my other pieces of published work. And how about um, how about your podcast, uh, Phil, for those um I have a, a little podcast that I do in seasons when I have fun with it. It's a it's a program called Words with Friends, which is where I chat with other authors, speakers, people who are in my social circle from a um, an educator point of view, and I chat with them about one word. But I don't think we've recorded an episode on Words with Friends for about eighteen to twenty four months. So I generally tend to do my podcast in seasons when time presents itself, and okay. it's always more of a of a passion project and a and a reason to reconnect with people that I adore with a frame around it, recording it for the gift of others. So that's how how podcasting shows up in my world. 
Got it. So your best way to consume your content is probably to uh, buy the book. Exactly what to say? Yeah, exactly what to say is core offering. We run certification programs. I have 37 independent trainers that, that, that run programs, courses across uh, the US um, and into Canada and now in the UK too. What else we have going down is a giant web presence where uh, we go bigger than the book, exactly what to say. So exactly what to say.com has reams and reams and reams of articles, has reams of video content all available for free. We do a 31 day challenge for free there. And what we're looking for people to be more aware of is, is how to be more intentional with language in all the moments that matter. So that expands way past the book, bleeds into parenting, bleeds into leadership, bleeds into don't say this, say that instead all sorts of examples that, that bring people aware to um, just how inefficient we are as human beings with language. And when time is crunched, and when we only have limited windows to be able to show up and influence and impact key moments, often the difference between us and people like us is knowing exactly what to say, when to say, and how to make it count. It's it's being intentional with your word choices at the right time. And you know, I'm on a lifelong mission to raise people's awareness to how to grow competence and confidence in their word choices. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I tell you, Phil, um, you know, what I loved about your session at MDRT Edge and um, and uh, as I was thinking about it, I re-listened to the session of MDRT Edge and, you know, just the, um, the magic words, right? And some of the things that you had shared. Um, I'd love to love for the listeners to hear a little bit more about you know, kind of a little bit of the background too. Um, you, you even gave a disclaimer, right? <laughs> Making sure that uh, you're using it in an honest and ethical way, but yeah. uh, because these things are so powerful. Yeah, completely. And 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 exactly what to say is is the distillation of some of the biggest principles around influence and persuasion, categorized into a sequence of words. See, I could write a giant, great big book that introduces core principles of influence and persuasion, and I know that most financial planners will never read it. Why? Because it's asking for a commitment of 16, 24 hours of their life to be able to consume it. And if they were to read it, they'd struggle to find examples. So what exactly what to say is, is uh, examples of 23 key principles around influence disguised as a specific word choice that allow people to be able to get their own practical application, their own purposeful experience back as quick as humanly possible. And it's sequences of words that talk straight towards the subconscious brain, sequences of words that allow us to have more influence, more efficacy in life's critical conversations. We shared a couple of examples in that presentation at Edge, but all of the examples exist in the book, Exactly What to Say. And it just so happens that the audio book, if for those of you that like listening, is the most listened to nonfiction audio book of all time. So there is not a nonfiction audio book that has been listened to more than Exactly What to Say, which is a really cool statistic to be able wow. to have out there for those of us that like numbers. Good for you, man. That's amazing. So why don't we jam on this for a second, if we're going to look to be useful to your listeners here today, Jason, and, and what are some of the scenarios that planners find themselves in right now where they could benefit from having more influence or they could benefit from being able to utilize word choices to accelerate the speed of decision or to accelerate the speed of knowledge transfer? So just to give you an idea of the process, right, a lot of our advisors, the way that they're meeting new clients is... Um, for, through referrals, number right. one, and then number two, through doing some type of marketing, uh, outbound marketing. 
And so from there, what we teach our processes is they get on uh, a right fit call. And right. so what a right fit call is, is about a 20 minute phone call where the objection is to, you know, identify what resources they've accumulated to meet their financial goals, what the top one, the two most important financial goals they have are, and ultimately just give them an idea of what our process would be and what the next step would be to go into a discovery meeting and then ultimately design the plan and then deliver the plan to them. And then at that point, go into the dedicated phase, which is implementation of the plan that we built. Um, but that fit call is, is pretty crucial in you know, gain, gaining uh, buy-in and qualifying the right people and setting the stage and you know, to get them to commit to go to the next step, which is a discovery meeting. Okay, got it. So what you've got is you've got this exploratory call that is like a like a, a quick cocktail after work before agreeing to go on a date, and then the discovery call is the day, and then following the day is a decision as to whether we're gonna you know maybe move in together. There you go. Got it. So if we look at how we can be perhaps more efficient, even in that front end call, that is there a fit call? Is the goal of those calls really is to be as strategically curious as possible at the front end of the call? Your goal is to not make any advice or any recommendations without the ability to be able to say words like the words because of the fact that you said. So because of the fact that you said blank, blank and blank, then what my recommendation would be is blank, blank and blank. That's a very easy structure to be able to follow from a word choice point of view in theory. It's much harder in practice because you have to collect the blanks. Right. And collecting the blanks is about being strategically curious in those early conversations so you can put meaningful information back into those blank moments. Simple questions preface with words like help me understand. So help me understand why you believe that it might be a good fit for us to work together. Well, look how all of a sudden now you're not doing the selling, they're selling you. You mentioned earlier you get a lot of people via referral. Now what happens in the early stage of that fit call, they say, well, you know, I know that Jeffrey's worked with you with his wife for like seven years and they've got great results. And, and, and we didn't feel we were ready for you when we first found out about you. But since then, what we've managed to do is this, 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 this. And I'm in a little bit of chaos right now and I need somebody to help me put the reins on it. Yikes, right? Like within 90 seconds, they just said, like, please be my financial planner just because we used to help me understand preface. And the help me understand preface is typically a great replacement for the words tell me. Yeah. Quite often in these kind of calls, you reach for the words tell me and tell me is a command order. You know, right. tell me what you've got in place right now. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me the last time. Tell me, tell me, tell me. It feels like I got to defend this position. Help me understand pulls them in and says, look, I'm here to help you. And I'm keen to explore the possibilities of where we're right together. So those early calls swap words versus like, tell me for the words help me understand and watch how what happens is that they, they bring you into the call. There's also a process of education that needs to come in these calls, right? Like this isn't a they're buying a product from you. They're committing to a relationship from you. They're committing to some form of long-term journey. And you might need to get some context. In every one of these conversations, you're going to want to insert content. But if you insert content before you've earned context, you just made the job a little harder and you just made the decision a little noisier. So questions like what is your experience allow you to garner a lot of information in a short period of time. So what is your experience of working with a financial professional prior to this? 
well, we used to just work with a guy at the bank. And what we used to be able to do is work with another guy for protections. And we work with another you know, group that has helped us with some investment. And I do some stuff online myself. And that what I've got is I've got these two other programs over here from a past employer. And right, we get all of this context of what is your experience of working with a financial professional. What we can then do is we can then stack some questions behind that with things like, so what three things have you liked best about working with those folks in the past? And if you could change one thing, what would the one thing be? You see how very quickly what we're doing is we're earning the evidence to be able to say, look, because of the fact that you said that you'd love to be able to have one relationship as opposed to nine relationships. And because of the fact that you'd like somebody who has awareness towards your long-term visions and your unique family objectives. And because of the fact that, that you said that you are keen to be able to see significant returns, but but within a you know a real wrapper, for those reasons, what I'd recommend is that we that, that we put a proper plan together that is holistic and long-term that supports you and your family for the future. Does that sound smart? And they're like, yeah, that sounds smart. But it started with a what is your experience yeah. question. We can use what is your experience of, you know, what is your experience then of, of, of working with multiple vendors in a scenario like this? And they're like, well, to be honest, it's a nightmare, Jason. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do that, I've got to do that, I've got to do that. Got to do that. So, so, so is that something you see continuing for the future? No, no, no. I want one point of contact. That's why I'm talking to you. See, what is your experience can allow them to better give you something to sell against and almost always has them sell themselves on the fact they need you. Because in many of these circumstances, if somebody's coming for a fit call or they're coming for a discovery call, they are not looking for reasons to join you. They're looking for reasons to not. So actually, you give them the reason to sell themselves and they will do. And you can then just agree with them and you can showcase the fact that you are what they were looking for without telling them what you are. So two prefaces will help you in those calls. One is help me understand. The other is what is your experience? Then what else you can do is lead the dance with another preface to a question that makes it almost impossible to say no to, which is the preface of the words, would it help if? See, the second I would say, would it help if, and then put whatever blank I like behind that, it is almost impossible to say no to that, providing your reason. Would it help if we got together again for a discovery call where we can go deeper on this and start to look at exactly what a plan would look like? Would it help if I put this in a plan together for you so that we had something well documented for us to be able to run by? Would it help if you had the benefit of being able to connect with us periodically a strategic period of time so we can measure progress? Would it help if you just had one fixed monthly payment to know that somebody's taking care of this for you? Would it help if that you knew that you had my support long-term as well as being able to figure this stuff out on your own? Yes, 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 yes. So see how very quickly you can build a question stack in those scenarios with help me understand what is your experience? Would it help if? Yeah. And it could, and you know, and I remember you saying this and I and I see it and hear it clearly, but you know, you're speaking directly to the subconscious mind, right? I mean, that's yep. that's what this is doing. You know, Phil, what's been your um how did you gain access to like how did you accumulate this knowledge yourself? <laughs> because I mean, this is unbelievable, you know, just the the ability that you have. It's um it's experience and the skills that you earn. Like it's not just go on a course and learn it. I mentioned earlier on that I've worked in over 800 different industries, 59 different countries. I've been toe to toe in complex negotiations more times than most people have thought exist 
as times that you could be in toe-to-toe negotiations. And I've seen complexities in a variety of different scenarios from high-level political issues to parenting issues to everything that exists in between when it comes to utilizing language to reach a point of influence with efficacy. So what you start to realize is patterns repeat themselves, patterns repeat themselves, patterns repeat themselves. And we think that every human being is different there are more similarities than there are differences, although there are differences that require emotional intelligence. But the the core DNA, the core operating structure of how we think and act as humans is more similar than it is different. So what you then can learn is you can learn principles and then you can create thousands of examples that lay on top of those principles that allow you to have a tool set just like any master craftsman and can look at a piece of wood and turn it into something that is quite magnificent by having a vision of being able to play a longer term game. Here's the mistake though, Jason, that almost everybody makes. They try to win conversations with checkers moves. They're looking for one-liners. They're looking for, you know, what is the secret answer? What's the magic words? What you saw from me very quickly there is I developed a set of chess moves. You know, three moves in a row got me to a point of a slam dunk moment with a client. Yeah, everybody's looking for what's the witty one-liner, what's the script, what's the closing line, what's the objection handler, blah, 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 blah. What I'm looking to be able to do is to say, have I got enough experience and emotional intelligence to say, well, I'm going to create certainty in three to five questions. Then I'm going to develop a, a singular script that is going to take people on a unilateral direction that is going to try and push towards a close. So you learn that by having a different mindset influence is about removing obstacles as opposed to giving reasons as to why somebody should and people think success in selling is embellishing the option of yes it's not it's destroying the option of no that's what we should be looking to do like maybe is the enemy indecision is the enemy and if you can talk to the part of somebody's brain that is fundamentally more decisive, then what you can do is you can increase the rate of decision, which means you can increase the rate of action, which means you can increase the rate of transaction. It is that easy and that hard. But what you're looking to be able to do is you're looking to be able to say, well, what are the recurring critical conversations that I know that I'm going to face day in, day out, week in, week out? Where do I find ourselves on repeat? Because actually that's the starting point to be able to master it. And if you just take this initial fit call in every single one of those calls that anybody's entering into in your world they are more common they are have a lot of recurring questions they have a lot of recurring objections they have a lot of recurring sequences of words and what often happens here is people have bottled and systemized and added process to the documentation to the paperwork to the support tools but they haven't added the same discipline towards their question track that supports that process. Right. And they could. That's what a pro would do. Yeah, absolutely. And let me move on to kind of the next step of the process. And we can talk through a little bit of the maybe questions that we can stack in, in there. And it's um, the discovery. So by the end of the discovery meeting, um, we have identified the gaps in their planning or lack of planning. Yeah. And we've also, we created a document called the Challenges and Priorities Worksheet. Yeah. And what it is, is it lays out all the number one challenges and priorities that we know are, you know, and, and that's come out of this 90-minute meeting we've just had. It's what we've identified through the questions we've asked them. It's what they've identified 
you know, through us asking those questions that they have those gaps in their plans and it's concerns like running out of money or paying too much taxes or, you know, healthcare, you know, costs or gaps and not yeah. having the right protection, uh, investments not keeping up with inflation, big market correction, things of that nature. And so we have them rank them either one as a top priority, a number one concern or priority. Number two is it's important, but it's like a stove. It's on the back burner, not on the front uh, burner. And then number three, it's not even on the stove. It's not anything important at all. Um, and we have them at the very end of the meeting rank, right? And so it yep. reinforces what they've learned and they tell us what their number one priorities is. How might, if somebody was pushing back a little bit of going to the next step and hiring us, because we've now quoted a fee for what it would cost to, for our services to take them through the process and build the plan, you know, what might be some of the things we could do to use that information through questions, right, to inspire them to want to actually move forward and go to the next step with us? Okay. Well, there's a couple of things here. Is this 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 leveling up of of importance around key things? I think is is necessary. What's important though is to go slowly with it. Is you can have this right? That's a one. That's a two. That's a three. Sure, fine. But I think I'll take some of those. Is like like how important is it to you that you get this right? And then I take some of the things that are in the, you know, in the one category, and I'd say, well, like give me one to ten on this. With 10 being it's essential that you get on top of this this year and one being it's like nice to have, how important is it to you that you get your taxes under control? Well, it's like a like an eight, Jason. Okay, so that's an eight. And explain to me this, like what would the consequences be if you fail to get that under control? So now what I'm purposefully doing is I'm going negative in the other direction. Well, you know what? It would cost me a fortune and overpay taxes. Administratively, it's going to take a lot of my time. It's going to be sleepless nights. It's going to be this. It's going to be the other. And then I'm going to say, and what else? Well, it's going to put pressure on my marriage. It's going to uh, perhaps create some debate and conflicts inside of our, you know, our 50-50 our discussions inside of our relationship and our household. Oh, okay, and what else? Well, it could lead to us not being able to make the right provision towards school fees, towards our kids for the future, and what else, and what else, and what else? So I can get somebody to hang themselves ethically if i don't just take the one good reason that they said tax planning is important so what we say is i should be your planner is the ability to go to the other side of what happens if you don't and get them to make that real is what creates levels of certainty and if you're going to charge say a thousand fifteen hundred two thousand five thousand a month whatever you're charging for your service or a percentage of like whatever you're charging you have to create a problem that is bigger than your fee and now all of a sudden your fees are no brainer. And for context is I charge for what little old me, small town boy, now understands to be a obnoxious sum of money to deliver a 90 minute speech from stage. How do I position that as valuable is I stack some evidence against it. So I might ask questions like, so how many people are going to be in the audience? And they'll tell me it's like a thousand people in the audience. I say, well, then on any given week is how much are they missing in like missed sales opportunity? They're losing a thousand a week, 5,000 a week, 10,000 a week. What's normal? They're like, well, like everybody's probably missing out on, you know, five grand a week just from close rate alone. Okay. That's interesting. And um, how long has that been going on for? Is that, a, is that a new thing? They're like, no, no, this has been happening a while, at least since I've been here. And how long have you been there? Well, I've been there seven years. So for seven years, you've had a thousand people losing you five grand a week. How long are you going to let that run for? Well, I guess that's why we're speaking to you for 
like you see the size of the problem that I just created, right? Do you think a, you know, a high five figure fee for 90 minutes of my time that can make a dent in that is now all of a sudden too much money? Or does it sound like a no brainer to help fix a multi-million dollar problem? Right, right. And the same is true when you're speaking to advisors or you're speaking to potential clients is the most important value to bring to any client that you're looking to help is the cost of not. The cost of not working with you has to be seen as far greater than the fee that you're going to charge them for your service. And if it's not, I would argue that you are the wrong planner for them. If you cannot help them see that with crystal clear that you are a cost-saving exercise, you are a efficiency towards their life, forget it. Like nobody wants to pay a fresh air fee, but if your expertise, your organization and your systems can save me time, money, expense, both, uh, they could save relationships. They can give me back time to spend doing things that I would love to do that I really care about. And I can put a number on all of that. Every single financial planner listening to this should be aware of the fact that they can make their fee sound like it's a cup of coffee. Absolutely. I'm, and, and what's running through my head is some of the part, like using some of the examples of taxes and how much they could save or how much they're, you know, they could eliminate in current or future tax liability and yep. on an annual basis and over a certain amount of years, or even like a market correction, if they don't have their money segmented and positioned correctly Correct. to defensively guard against a big market. There's crash. hundreds of things, right? The financial yeah. planner can look at in any individual circumstances that whatever your fee is, it should be chump change by comparison to the size of potential problem that could exist without for somebody not using you. And, you know, the cost of somebody not proactively watching or managing managing your money means that you, you might not make a move when you should have made a move that has the potential of being catastrophic once you've got certain amount of funds under management, right? Is, is that risk could be huge. The cost of not having the inheritance plan structured in the right way could be catastrophic towards your loved ones that you said that you're working like crazy for. This to me is the easiest thing to sell on the planet. We're talking about money, love, emotions, and legacy. Like all, all the things that are actually the easiest things to be able to trigger somebody's decision towards, financial planning should be the easiest service to sell in the world, period, if you're good at it. And if you're finding it difficult, it's this ability to be able to translate your value towards their circumstances, this miss of an empathy gap that is costing you right now. So if you can't have somebody see how much it's costing them to not have a financial planner. I would argue that you're not the right financial planner, right? It is actually, that's the point it is, is that you have to be aware of how valuable you really are. Not with a list of products and services, not with a timeline of to do's and, you know, here's what we're going to do quarterly. Here's what we're going to do monthly. Here's our list of bullet point services. But like, I'm here to prevent you overpaying taxes to the tune of 50,000 a year to make sure your investments don't do blank and to make sure that your kids aren't stuck with a giant issue should something happen to you. And I'm here to make sure that should anything happen to you, that your um, your family's provided for in a way that is in line with your expectation. And I should know all the numbers on that. So it's, you know, a right financial planner is the ultimate insurance policy. 100%. No, that's, that's, that's great. 
Um, that's insightful and inspiring. I mean, it, you know, it, it really is. This is a giant um, job of responsibility. Like this is, like, I think lots of people get into this industry as a smart way to make money and a, and a comfortable way of being able to flex to your friends what you do for a living. But it's one of the most responsible jobs on the planet. And it is also a, a service that too few people are even aware exists and a service that too few people are actually benefiting from because they don't understand how to engage with it and they don't understand how to be able to actually draw value from it. And that lives in the financial advice industry. People are aware of the individuals that provide one-off services in all the areas, but a holistic service across the board, I think if more people just knew the value it could bring, your like market penetration could, could go through the roof. Absolutely. You know, I think it gets confusing. A lot of salespeople get confused as financial planners when in reality they're in this business, but they're really just selling their product to services. And that's the difference of the advisors that we work with. They're holistic financial planners. They're tying it all together because if it's not at the end of the day, yeah, anybody, anybody can buy you know, a pantry full of great ingredients doesn't necessarily mean the plate of food on the table is going to taste delicious. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's right. fantastic. Yeah. So I think the key is that, the, you know, the right financial planner is a Michelin star chef. Yep. It has the you know, ability uh, to put so together all those, so all those ingredients. So, so Phil, like I, I like to say there's kind of like three closes in, in getting a client to all the way to the finish line and working with you where you're able yeah. to do your best work. And so um, in many you know cases, people get planning and management confused. And especially we do, we do a lot of tax, right? A, a lot of tax work. And so the difference of like tax planning versus tax management and um, it is, is an area that, you know, we, we like to, to give a lot of clarity when we're talking to prospective clients and clients. And the difference is it's almost like a house analogy, right? Like a tax plan is creating the blueprint, right? but tax management is building and maintaining the house. And so you can pay us a fee to create the blueprint, but at the end of the day, somebody has to build and maintain the house. And so... Um, so that's that's kind of like an important. So when you think of like the closes, if you will, again, to get us all the way to the point where we can do the best work, close number one is really that fit call. And it's closing them to agree to go to through a discovery process and the value that they're going to get by going through the process and to this in particular the next step of going through the discovery process. No commitment of paying a fee to go through discovery. Right. At the end of discovery is close number two. And that's where I was talking about the concerns and priorities worksheet, which is how we wrap up that meeting to reinforce what the yep. number one priorities. And I love some of the things you said, the questions and the ranking of one to 10 and some of those number ones. And so we talked about that second close. The third close is once we built the plan, so we've gone through discovery, design, and now delivered their blueprint. Now it's them hiring us to build the house, right? right? And so it's that last close of like, fire your current financial advisor and move all your assets over to us to manage and get this holistic, comprehensive tax, financial, legal insurance, 
all tied together in the management of the implementation and management of that. Exactly. Exactly. So I guess the question is, is like, what are some of the questions, you know, one, I I know how open-minded would you be to, you know, I love that in listening to your talk. Yeah, and I think as a preface, like that, that exists, like the how open-minded preface is really existing way further back in the sales process. This is, you meet somebody at a networking event is that you find yourself at a golf club with a friend of a friend for you to be able to say things like, how open-minded would you be for us to grab 20 minutes and and talk this through properly? It's how open-minded would you be at the back end of a call? You've just lost all momentum. Yeah. Because what you're doing is, is you're taking all this certainty where you're looking to be the advisor, the planner, the guide. And then you've pulled back all responsibility at this point and said, well, how open-minded would you be to, to me being your planner? Like it, it, it's, it, you know. Yeah, you wouldn't it, use it there. No, right. is way earlier out. How open-minded would you be to jump on a call for 20 minutes to see if there's a fit? How open-minded would you be to, to having a meaningful discovery so we can actually get some real numbers and some real insights around this? To, and everybody to- wants to be open-minded, right? Everyone wants to perceive themselves as open-minded. Yep. Pretty much the whole world sees themselves as open-minded. I repeat, they see themselves. doesn't mean they are. They just see themselves as open-minded. So I think if you give them the gift of being able to opt in, and you're going to use how open-minded when you want a discussion, you're going to use would you be open-minded when you want a decision? So they fall into two categories. Like, And, and there are times in a conversation you want a decision. There are times you want to open up a discussion. How open-minded opens up a discussion. Would you be open-minded? Brings you towards a decision. Hey, would you be open-minded to grabbing a drink next week? decision hey how open-minded would you be to having a drink sometime discussion see the difference yes yes. but what you're looking for later on is you're looking for the ability to be able to lead the dance and i think anybody that is looking to employ your services is looking for your leadership they're looking to be able to say i'm putting my trust in you to take control of this process i want to move from leader to follower like like take control of the situation and that means that you actually want closing lines that are a lot more assumptive so assumptive frames like, would it help if? Well, yeah, sure, it would be. For you to then say things like, so what happens next is? So what happens next is that we're going to take the information that's been put down today. We're going to document that into a formalized plan for you. And whilst we're doing that, you're going to have some simple forms to complete that register you as a formal client of ours. And from that point onwards, then you can have the commitment to know that we are represented in your goals, your needs, your family circumstances. So the... Um... The, the, some of the things to say at that assumptive, because you're right, and that is the way we teach it. Like at that point, it's an assumption close, right? Like we've taken them through the process. Why wouldn't they want to have us implement? And so, um, yeah. So I, I, I guess here and more of like what what wording you would use there. I think you just gave a great example. Any I think all I want to build is at any point where this conversation is coming to an end and now something needs to happen before the next conversation, you just develop a series of what happens next statements. And as a financial planner, there's always a what happens next. You're looking at a never-ending relationship. So following the end of the discovery call is what happens next is bum, 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 bum. Then next time you do that thing, you catch them again. So what happens next is, and we should always just be kicking the puck out or kicking, you know, kicking the ball out further into play for us to then go chase, to then come back, to chase and then come back. And there's always a what happens next statement. That's how you maintain longevity of relationship. That's how retention comes into play. And that's how people feel like they are working with a trusted partner. All it is, is what happens next is, and 
great. And what if they come back, Phil, um, which one of the things that we teach is, uh, you know, when we, um, you know, sometimes there will include a drink of water. So a drink of water is if you sense that maybe the husband and wife need to get on the same page yep. and you'll excuse yourself from the room and just say, you know, what? I'm going to grab a drink of water. Would oh. you like anything while I'm out? Give them a moment to talk amongst themselves if necessary. But let's say like we get through the end of the process and we've made our recommendations and it, you, we're just sensing that maybe they're going to say, ah, let me think about it. Or there, you know, there's some kind of, Flag, yeah, there's two, there's two reasons has- why friction should exist in, in this sales process towards the end. One is they don't see the value in working with a financial planner. Two is they're giving consideration to an alternative financial planner other than you. That's it. They're the only two outcomes that could exist, right? Either I don't think I need a financial planner or I'm convinced I need a financial planner and I'm not sure it should be you. One of those two outcomes. Right. So we need to look at every scenario we know we're going to bump into and develop a what happens next statement. Let's just say that we're feeling like these two need to talk with each other. I'm going to say, look, what happens next is you guys need to talk a touch behind my back just to make sure that you're on the same page and you feel confident that the services we're providing you are the right level of support to help you achieve your financial plan. You probably don't want me in the room for that. We can either schedule that for another time or I'll tell you what, I've got a couple of missed calls on here that I need to be able to bounce out for just to check up on. So what's going to be easier for you? Me bouncing out of the room right now or us scheduling another meeting. They're like, yeah, well, why don't you bounce for 15 minutes, then come back? Because I tell you what, if they say, let's schedule another meeting, I know they're considering other financial planners. If they say, give me 15 minutes right now, that's cool. I know they're sold and they just want to look at each other and say, what do you think, Jason? He's the guy? Yeah, okay, cool. Anyway, what do you want for dinner tonight? I need to just text back, something so about boom, 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 we'll be back in a minute. Okay, well, tell them we go. Right, it's going to be one of those two. Yeah. If you've not got that vibe and you say, well, what happens next is boom, 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 and you lead the dance onwards from there and they say, whoa, 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 which they might, like two out of 10 might go, whoa, whoa, breaks on. We've actually got two more people that we're interviewing about this same service later on in the week. Highly possible, perhaps even probable in a number of scenarios. However, if you've been recommended by referral, more often than not in financial planning, People don't necessarily want to go through the laborious exercise of of mapping out their goals, dreams, insecurities, um, mistakes they've made up until that point on more than one occasion. So they've actually probably done a huge amount of due diligence to get to a 90-minute discussion to decide that they think you're right. So I wouldn't always assume that they're going to go speak to somebody else. But if they put the brakes on and say that they are, then all I'd do is I'd back up. And I'd say, okay, so when are you likely to have completed all your interviews? And they're going to say, boom, like by then, 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 then. And you're going to say, great. You know, if you're anything like me, then I'd want to make a smart decision without feeling any pressure at this moment in time. And they're like, yeah, that's right. And then I'd probably say something like, so could you see any reason why I wouldn't be a good fit at this stage? Am I still in the race? And they're going to say, no, no, you're very much in the race. And I'm going to say, well, would it help if that we can have a further discussion once you've spoken to everybody else to make sure your questions are answered and I can help assist you in your decision-making process. And they're going to say, yeah, sure. I'm going to say, great. So what happens next is you're going to go through those interviews just to see how those people compare to us. You're probably going to reach the conclusion that you're already speaking to the right person. And we're going to speak next Tuesday, following you being able to chat with everybody. And next Tuesday, what's a good time of day for us to be able to connect? They're going to say, well, like somewhere in the afternoon. So you say, well, like somewhere like 4.30 p.m. And they're going to say, yeah, sure. 
I'm going to pick up the phone at 4.30 and I'm going to say, I'm calling as promised. They're going to say, thank you. And then I'm going to say, well, like uh, last week, I know you were going to interview some other guys and to help you in your decision-making process. At this stage, what questions do you have for me? And they're going to say no questions. And you're going to say, great. So the next step is. Yeah, that's perfect. You can tell I've done this twice, right? (laughs) What's that? You can see that we've done this more than twice. Oh, gosh. So golden, man. I'll tell you, um, it was funny because I, I heard your talk. I took all these notes. I listened to the talk again, and I, and I took a bunch more notes. I'm looking at it on the screen. You keep seeing me look over. It's what I'm doing. And now, again, it, it it's so much more powerful because you're applying it to our actual process as right. we're talking through this. But um, I can't wait to listen to the audio book exactly what to say, yeah, it's the first thing I'm going to do when we wrap up here is download that audio book. And I think, you know, if anyone listening in right now is is particularly hyper aware towards how impactful language can be and has realized the refinements in multiple areas of a customer experience can buy you back time, improve conversion rates and generate you more wealth yourself, then I've got two ways of teaching this work. One is 72 minute audio book or come to a speech and get like the highlights reel that can inspire and deliver a poster of possibility. Two is to go deep for two and a half days without distractions with a small group of other individuals. We put 16 people in a room a few times of the year in New York City in my boardroom and we certify people around the core principles of exactly what to say and we bring them to a level of conscious competence around how impactful they can be with word choices. So if that's anybody listening in right now, then come find me on Instagram or LinkedIn, shoot me a note and say, hey, like, tell me some more about that, that certification program. Like, We hide the web links on purpose because it's not for everybody. It's not like come to a page and learn about it. It's 16 people. I do it five times a year. So we're not you know, promoting this thing as a here, there and everywhere. But I think particularly financial planners who realize the responsibility of how language shows up in their customer experience, in their client development journey. Uh, No doubt there's one, two, three of you listening into this right now that's like, hey, I might need that. So ping me LinkedIn, ping me Insta and just say, tell me more about certification and I'll uh, continue the conversation. Phil, you know, I'm one of those and and I would love to do this because I think there's a lot that we could layer in. You've already shown me that today to our process that we teach um these magic words and these questions are fantastic um you uh what how about uh give me an idea of price and what if you know we get a few of us that do this together can we get yep. you know get, come, give us a deal i mean i just had a a group that are all in the mortgage space that made the same realization they're like can we just put all 16 people in the room just in one profession and obviously the answer is yes we can make that work right um individuals coming along it's it's 5500 bucks a head we create a two and a half day experience in new york city that is to die for private dining really good networking opportunity chance to be able to hang out create video assets create good photo assets so that there's a good sort of pr spin from being able to invest in yourselves and your client development experience that way too um and you know if a group of you put together is i could probably look at improving um something from an economies of scale point of view, if we're not putting 16 individuals in the room. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll work on getting a group together and I'll contact you. Yeah. It sounds perfect. And, and, and would love to put the first group of financial planners to become exactly what to say certified as a result of working with Jason and, and the Rainmakers. That should be a band by the way. Love it. 
Jason and the rain and the rainmakers. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bill. And this was fantastic. And you will uh, definitely be seeing me soon and probably uh, some of my uh, tribe. So, hey, would love to come work with you more as well. And you can see, like, with the right people, the returns and rewards are significant for everybody involved. What's the uh, What's the next date? Uh, I do one in February, one in April. They're both sold out. I got a one happening in May that's half full. So, I've got May, September, November. Awesome. May, September, November. Thank you so much for being on today. I appreciate your time, Phil. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand Series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach to advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com.